Will be my joy if you would join me in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're calling Gospel Power Through Human Weakness. And it is our desire that as we are studying God's Word, diving deep into God's Word, that God's Word would increase our joy, not in ourselves, but our dependence and our joy in the Lord. My name is Pastor Lance. I am a pastor, one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church, and I'm so happy that you are with us today. It brings me joy that you are here, and I pray that through hearing God's word together that the Lord would increase our joy in him. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that through this text, Lord, through your inspired word, by the power of your spirit, that you would stir up joy in this room. Lord, that you would stir up joy. Lord, not that anything in this world could give us because it always falls short. Not that our sins or our idols can give us because they promise joy but never deliver. But Lord, joy in yourself. Joy in yourself. And as you increase our joy in one another and our joy in you, Lord, would you get much glory. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why are we here this morning? Why did you get out of bed this morning to come to Christ Fellowship Church? Why do we gather every Sunday? Why, why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we give? Why do we take of the Lord's Supper? Like, like, why am I standing up here talking from this book. What's my aim? What's my goal? Really, as a church, we should ask, why do we do anything that we do? Like, why do we gather in community groups? Why, why do we go deep with one another in gospel groups? Why do we have coffee meetings with people at Spencer's or invite people to our homes or, or share the gospel with people who don't know it? It's a great question to ask because, as you've probably noticed, driving to church today, not everybody got up together with the church today. Not other, everyone came together with brothers and sisters in Christ. So ask yourself, why did you? Why are we here? I mean, people go to church for, for different reasons. Some people go to church because they feel like they have to go to church. Some people go to church because they've always gone to church since they were a little kid. Some go to be entertained. 
Some go to find friendships. Some go to maybe network for business. Some go to church because they think that'll help them go to heaven. If I, if I could just make Jesus and mama happy, then I guess I'm good. But why do we gather here at Christ Fellowship this morning or, or any Sunday? Well, we are here this morning for your joy. We are here this morning for your joy. That's why I'm preaching this sermon. That's why we do anything that we do for your joy. We sing for joy. We pray for joy. We give for joy. We listen for joy. We gather in groups for joy. But let's be honest, even while I say that, some of y'all are saying, you know what, I don't know if that's what I get when I come here. Sometimes it's pretty hard for some of us to believe that. For, for some of us, it's because you know your own heart. And when you come on a Sunday morning out of routine and it gets mundane and you take the Lord's Supper and you pray and you listen to God's word, you think the, the last thing I feel sometimes is joy. All of this doesn't describe joy to me all the time. Or maybe it's because... Maybe it's because you don't trust the hearts of others. Maybe you know, you've known enough self-centered leaders, pastors, enough self-promoting churches who are trying to advance their own agenda, and you think, you know, the last thing I felt like there is that they were for my joy. This is what was happening here in the hearts of those who are in Corinth. This was the narrative that they were being told about the Apostle Paul. There was a seed of distrust that had been sown in their hearts by the false teacher saying, Paul doesn't really care about you all. That's what the false teachers were saying. If Paul cared at all, he would have been here right now. Like he would have visited again. He would have come back through Corinth. If Paul really cared at all about you, he wouldn't send a letter. If, if, and then if he did, it would be more uplifting than that stuff he sent you all. All Paul cares about is himself. His own agenda. His own glory. His own convenience. If he cared at all, he'd be here. Like us. That's what the false teachers would be saying. But Paul wants to make it clear this morning. He wants to make it abundantly clear while he canceled, why he canceled his travel plans. Why he wrote this letter the way he did. Crystal clear of why he does everything. He says he does it for your joy. For your joy. Paul so desires for the Corinthians to see that this is the true motivation of my heart. He, he wants them to feel it so much that he says, I'm going to call God to the witness stand. He says, but I call God to witness against me in verse 23. He says, let God expose me if I'm a liar. Let God destroy me if this isn't true of my heart and my motives. Brothers and sisters, again, this is why we're gathered here this morning. 
It's the reason that I'm a pastor. It's the reason I'll even go a step further. It's the reason we all exist. The reason that God created this world. He didn't have to. No, God created the world that you might find joy and you might find it in him. This is the main idea from my passage, the main goal of my ministry. It's God's aim for the universe. I'll give it to you up front. We work with you for your joy, and your joy increases our joy, and our joy together brings God glory. We work with you for your joy, and your joy increases our joy, and our joy together brings God glory. Let's break that down for a second. The first one, we work with you for your joy. Paul says that's the main reason that I didn't come to Corinth. It's the main reason I didn't come again. It's not because it was more convenient for me. It's not because it would be easier or cheaper or that I didn't care about you. No, it was for your joy that I didn't come. Paul knew that another visit from him would be a painful visit. He knew it was going to be really painful. And so he said, you know what? I'm not coming because I, I want to spare you of the pain because I want you to have joy. Instead, he gives this beautiful summary of Christian ministry, of Christian leadership in verse 24. Listen to this. He says this. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. That's, he lays out there two different kinds of leadership. Two different models of leadership that we've probably all seen from different people. One is to work over you for my joy. Right? Work over you for my joy with zero consideration whether you get joy at all. I'm in it for my joy, my agenda, my glory, with a little care of your joy. But the other one is this, to work with you for your joy. To, to be co-workers with you for your joy. I mean, we can all probably... Think of pastors or leaders that, that might come to mind that who, who have worked over you for, your joy, for their joy. Who've worked over you for their joy. They have lorded over your faith, as Paul says here. Maybe domineering over you. Controlling you for their own ends. Using you for their own purposes. There are leaders who even would say they're followers of Jesus who would wake up every second, not for the glory of Jesus or your joy, but for their own personal glory, for their own personal gain. Leaders who want to advance their agendas, leaders who want to build their own kingdom, stroke their own ego, and forget all about you in the process. is probably a lot like the false teachers in Corinth who were probably the first prosperity gospel teachers. 
They were preaching and teaching and talking about Jesus so that they might prosper. They're boasting of their own position. They're boasting of their own power, their own abilities and gifts, and all for their own benefit. And things haven't changed much since the first century. Like the, This self-seeking pursuit has not stayed in Corinth, but it has spread because of our own hearts. I mean, did anybody listen to the Mars Hill podcast about the ministry of Mark Driscoll and the Mars Hill podcast out in Seattle? I mean, I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm at one point weeping listening to an episode. I'm just crying through an episode because there was an elder and a wife who were spiritually abused by leaders in this church. And yet it was justified because of the thousands that were coming to church. Justified because of the hundreds of people that were being baptized. Justified because look at all that we're doing. Look at all we're producing for Jesus. It's amazing how leaders can use Jesus to advance their own kingdoms while looking nothing like Jesus. Sad. It should break our hearts. But it's easy. I'll admit, it's really easy to scoff at Mark Driscoll or to scoff at maybe a pastor at a large church across the street. When if I'm not careful, I can just as easily perform a sermon over you for my joy instead of preaching God's word for your joy. We have to guard our hearts that are we in it for our joy? Are we in it for the joy of others? But how easy, brothers and sisters, is it? How easy and light and joyful is it to follow someone who works with you for your joy? When you know that someone is with me for my joy, instead of lording it over you or or domineering you or using you or controlling you, the text says he's side by side with you. And instead of choosing to use their time and their attention for their own joy, they are for your joy. They wake up to stir up your joy, your affections in Jesus. I mean, to be honest, because I know my own heart and because I know past hurts that I had from former bosses, former pastors at former churches, one of the things that I say to other leaders at Christ Fellowship, to men that I disciple, to to people on our church staff, as I, I love to say that I am with you. That I am with you and that I am for you. But before you do anything, before you achieve anything, before you produce anything, before you show some impressive numbers of your ministry, I am with you. I am for you. 
And I say this because every single one of us in here this morning forgets the gospel. I say this because I know they will forget the gospel, and I know I forget the gospel. We all forget that all of this is about grace. I mean, we all forget that all of this is about grace. Before any of us achieved anything but our sin, before we had anything to bring to the Lord but our rebellion, we were loved by Christ. We were approved of by Jesus. We were accepted in Jesus. We were welcomed in Jesus. Listen, we were even delighted in, rejoiced over. One Old Testament prophet says that that the Lord says he sings over us. Not because of our performance, but because of Jesus's perfect performance for us. It's Jesus's perfect life. It's Jesus' perfect death in our place, and it's Jesus' resurrection that gives us our joy, not our performance. And the Lord loves you, accepts you, welcomes you, delights in you because of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never turned from your sins and received that love, that acceptance, that welcome from Jesus. Jesus is not showing up to shame you, to push you away, to tell you how frustrated he is with you. He's here to delight in you because of what he's done through the cross and resurrection. So let me say this as clearly as I can. Christ Fellowship, your pastors are with you and we are for you. We are with you and we are for your joy. Every time we pray, every time we plan, every time we gather, every time we're together here, it's for your joy. And really this should mark all of Christian leadership, not just a pastor's role, but not just pastors, but those who are Community group leaders or those who are deacons or those who are women's ministry leaders or those who are bosses at a a work or husbands or fathers or, or mothers, anybody that's in leadership should be for the joy of others. Like, do the people under your leadership see you as with them for their joy or over them for your own? Do people see you as with them for their joy or over them for your own? Husbands, does your wife feel like you are with her side by side for her joy or that you're only after your own joy, your own happiness? Parents, do your kids feel like that you make decisions even considering their joy or that you're only after your own. Leaders, what what would change if everything in your office or everything in your community group or everything, everything in your group on campus that you lead 
would not be about your joy, but you would exist for the joy of others, stirring up joy in others. Christian leadership is, is not a self-centered pursuit for your own joy. It is about the joy of others. The second thing I want us to see is that your joy increases our joy. That's what Paul says about the church at Corinth. See, Christian leaders don't forfeit their joy at the door of ministry. It's not like, hey, all God's people get to gain and we all just lose. So don't leave here this morning thinking, you know what? He said, if I ever become a pastor, if I ever go into the ministry, that's a recipe for misery. No, it is joyful. It is a joyful calling. I want you to hear, if you're wrestling this morning with the call, should I be doing full-time ministry? Should I be preaching God's word for a living? This is joyful. Because Paul gets it. True Christian leaders, really all Christians, find that when the joy of others increase, when it increases, so does our own joy. So does our own joy. And the reason this holds true is because we're united to one another in the gospel. It's not just that we're united to one another because we joined Christ Fellowship Church. No, the mystery of the gospel is that we're spiritually united to Jesus and we're spiritually united to one another because we're in Jesus together. And his Holy Spirit fills each and, one, each and every one of us. I don't have a different Holy Spirit than you have. We share in the Holy Spirit as we're both hidden in Christ. And so that's why Paul makes up his mind. It'd be best if I don't come. Because that's just only going to bring pain to everyone. Look at verse 1 and 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. See, Paul sees that their lives, their hearts are intertwined in Jesus. So Paul knows that to bring pain to these brothers and sisters would only bring him pain. He knows that since we're united to Christ, their hurt is my hurt. Their sorrow is my sorrow. Maybe you've heard the parenting quote, you're only as happy as your most unhappy kid. You ever heard that? You're only as happy as your most unhappy kid. Well, in some ways, the same is true with pastoring. We're united in Christ. That's what it means to be in the body of Christ, is being united to one another so that when others weep, we don't rejoice. We're not happy when someone else fails. No, we weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul shows reluctance to return to them 
because ultimately he doesn't want their pain. He wants their joy. You know, maybe we should be a little bit more reluctant to say some things or to text some things or to post some things or do some things if it's only going to cause pain to someone instead of stirring up their joy. Well, what if we have that in? Will this bring pain and sorrow to someone else or will this stir up their joy? Because Paul knows the opposite is true. Just like if I bring them pain, it's only going to cause me pain. When the joy of others increases, so does my joy. Again, verse 3. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. This is the reality. This, This is how the universe works. This is how God created it. That when we seek our own joy, we rob everyone else, including ourselves, of joy. But when we make other people's joy our aim, it's amazing how joyful we will find ourselves. I'll say that again because you might want to get your pens out. The reality is that when we seek our own joy, we rob everybody, including ourselves, of joy. But when we make other people's joy our aim, it's amazing how joyful you will find yourself. See, we often treat joy like it's a zero-sum game. Some of you all Business majors at Western, you economic majors know what I'm talking about. I had to look it up. A zero-sum game literally means if someone, if something is gained by someone, it's lost by another. If you gain it, then that means I have lost it. Sadly, sometimes that's how we live the Christian life. God, God, I only has so much joy to go around. So if someone else gets it, that means less joy for me. It's so sad that we let Satan rob us of joy because of comparing and coveting and envying the the joy of other people. This is so wrong because the gospel is So true. There is a limitless joy in Jesus, just like there's limitless grace in Jesus. We don't have to hold back in giving grace. And we don't have to hold back in in bringing joy to someone, thinking there's going to be less for us. We should be lavish in extending grace. We should be lavish in how we stir up joy because Jesus is lavish with us. Listen, Jesus is the Niagara Falls of joy and grace. He doesn't know how to run out of it because it overflows from his heart for sinners like you and like me. The gospel changes this. This is how the gospel changes everything, changes a community. The gospel aims to stir up all of our joy together in Jesus. Listen to what Dane Ortland writes. He says, the premise of the world 
is for one's joy to go up, another's must go down. One takes, another gives. One's reputation at another's expense. One's financial gain at another's expense. One's ease at another's expense. The gospel turns this on its head. What would it look like if the gospel turned this community, this faith-filled, Christ-treasuring community on its head, that we weren't seeking our joy, we weren't seeking our agendas, but we were seeking to stir up one another in Jesus so that we're filled with the love and the grace and the joy of Jesus, not with comparison, not with jealousy, not with coveting, not with trying to one-up one another, but just filled with joy in Jesus together. It's like a beautiful measure, a marriage. It's like a beautiful marriage. Just, just try. Try to be self-seeking. Some of us don't have to try very hard. Try to be self-seeking and, and to prioritize only your joy in marriage. See how long it works for you to, to pursue your pleasure at the expense of your wife's heart. See how long that lasts. See the joy seep out of your marriage, seep out of your family, destroy even the joy in your kids. When you seek your joy, your pleasure at the expense of everybody else. Yet when both spouses find their joy in the joy of their spouse, that is truly Christ-like marriage. That is truly Christ-like marriage because Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life for a ransom for many. Jesus says in John chapter 10, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I mean, what if we look like Christ, like that in our marriages, in our homes? I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the same is true in God's church. Christian leaders should say, we work with you for your joy. And then the brothers and sisters in the church should do what Hebrews 13 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. That's a beautiful marriage in the church. We work with you for your joy. And the church says, we want this to be joyful. We are here to stir up one another's joy in Jesus. That's why we exist. But lastly and most importantly, yes, we work with you for your joy. And your joy increases our joy, but our joy together brings God glory. Our joy together brings God glory. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know what? This church is a little horizontal. 
Like it seems like this, a lot of one anothering, all this talk about joy. I think you all might be leaving out something. What about God's glory? Y'all be, y- y'all are, uh, making the goal of ministry or of marriage or of leadership or any relationship people's joy. Maybe you're sitting there asking, should we pursue God's glory or should we pursue one another's joy? Should we pursue God's glory or should we pursue one another's joy? And I say without hesitation, yes. Without hesitation, with everything in my bones, should we pursue God's glory and should we pursue one another's joy? Yes, with everything that is in you. Because our aim should be one another's greater joy in Jesus for the greater glory of Jesus. That should be why we exist. That should get you up in the morning. That should keep you in your marriage. That should change your workplace. That should change your dorm room. That my aim is to stir up your joy in Jesus and you to stir up my joy in Jesus and that Jesus gets all the glory for it. This is why Paul says he writes this letter. He says in verse 4, with much affliction, with much anguish. That's why there's so many tears, he's telling the Corinthian church, on the scrolls that came your way. You see those marks on there? I didn't spill my Sprite. Those were, I was weeping over you. Paul loves them and wants them to find joy in Jesus, more joy in Jesus than anything else. That's why Paul wrote these tear-soaked letters, not to bring them pain, but to bring them joy. That's why Paul had to give hard truths, not because he didn't love them, but because he intensely loved them. Because he have an, an abundance of love for them, he says. Listen, the, the call for real repentance is not at odds with the call to joy. The call to real repentance, repentance is not at odds with real joy. It's actually the pathway to joy. When Paul writes this hard letter, when he calls them to real godly sorrow, to real repentance, here's what the call of repentance is. When someone calls you to repent, they're saying to you, you're robbing yourself of great joy and God of great glory. That's what someone's saying when they call you to repent of your sins. You are robbing yourself of great joy and God of great glory, and you were created for both. Listen, we don't love one another if we're unwilling to do whatever it takes, to say whatever it takes, to to write a tear soaked letter to those we love to call a meeting with a brother or send a text to a sister for their joy in Jesus to increase. And we should hear every time someone, a brother or sister in Christ, calls us to repent. 
When they call us to turn from our sins that will not satisfy and turn to Jesus, we should hear that call to repent as a call to find joy again in Jesus. Listen, I don't love you if I'm willing to watch you pursue joy in a relationship. If I'm willing to to let you pursue joy in a college football team or in a six-figure salary or in a great vacation or in your possessions or in your kids' sports or even in your school performance or job performance or even your religious performance instead of in Jesus and not say anything to you. I don't love you if I'm not like Paul and with tears call you to find your joy in Jesus, what you were created for. Listen, this is the reason that you exist. It's the reason God created the world. God did not create the world to make himself happy. Did you know that? God did not create the world to make himself happy. He didn't create everything that you see to fulfill some emptiness in something that was lacking in himself. No, for all eternity, God has been full of joy. There's been the fullness of joy in the Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit having a joy-filled party for all eternity. No, God created the universe so that you would find joy in his glory, so that you would find joy in his beauty, so that you would find joy in his majesty, in his love for sinners like you. So that when our hearts are overflowing with joy, we can say without hesitation, there is none like you, Jesus. There's none like you. I've tried to find joy in my sin. I've tried to find joy in worldly pleasures. I've tried to find joy in my school grades. I've tried to find joy in money. But, Lord, I've come to the place where I saw that nothing is like Jesus. Everything pales in comparison to Jesus. Actually, joy in Jesus ruins me from trying to find joy in something else. And as our joy starts reaching greater and greater crescendos of joy in Jesus together, guess what happens? The more magnified God's glory is. The more God gets all the glory. It's the reason that God created the world. It's even the reason why Jesus went to the cross Jesus went to the cross for your joy. Remember Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And listen to this. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Whose joy was set before him? And if he looks back in eternity, looks behind him, there's plenty of joy in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. More than enough joy. But what joy was before him? It was the joy of the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
the joy of the redeemed in their redeemer from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why we gather here today. And that's why we go to the ends of the earth for the joy of all peoples in the glory of Jesus. So that people can find the reason they were created. To have joy in Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Maybe some of you all, I think, have been to the Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Who's breaking more records than any tour that's ever been imagined. Gross ticket sales, they say, over $1.4 billion, with a B. Over 5 million people who will see Taylor Swift in 146 shows over five continents. That's crazy. That's mind-boggling, right? Where fans, Swifties, I think they call them, right? Swifties. From all over the world will come for three hours to experience momentary happiness in Swift's music. And I'm sure she will experience momentary happiness with them gathered in an arena. But this pales in comparison to finding joy in Jesus. This pales in comparison to to finding a deep and durable delight in the Savior who forever saves you and who forever satisfies you with himself. Who will in heaven hear, worthy is the Lamb from the lips of joyful saints, not for three hours and then drive home but forever and ever and ever. Experiencing a joy in Jesus that will never fade away, that will be ever increasing in him over and over and over as we sing, worthy is the lamb. As we sing, all glory be to Christ our king. All glory be to Christ to Christ. For our joy and for his glory, this is the reason you were created. Lord, fill us with this joy. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us today, that you would fill us with this joy that comes in you and you alone. Lord, for some people, I pray that, Lord, you would strip them of the empty joys, the false joys that they try to find in idols and sins in this world that will never satisfy, that cannot satisfy. And that, Lord, you would call sinners to repent of their sins and run to a Savior who would die in their place and rise again, not only so that they'll be forgiven of their sins, but so they'll be satisfied in Him forever. Lord, would you do that right now? for their joy and for your glory. Lord, for all of us, I ask the same prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with joy this morning. 
that you would increase our joy in yourself, Lord, so that it doesn't end with us, but so that we would want to stir up joy in others, so that we would wake up in the morning to stir up joy in others in you. Lord, all so that you will get the glory that you deserve. For a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be gathered around your throne, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy. Lord, you do this for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.